Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. The God Cells explores one of the most controversial and polarizing subjects facing mankind today, the harvesting of stem cells from aborted fetuses to be used for therapeutic use. Currently, the clinical practice fetal stem cell therapy is illegal in the United States, but research toward seeking an FDA approval has been underway for more than a decade and it is uh, the film itself is goes into all of this. It explores the different angles, the political, the medical, and told from the point of view of a number of people who have sought out stem cell therapy. It's a remarkable film. Uh, the film is called The God's Cells, and we are fortunate enough today to have with us the director of the film, Eric Marola. Eric, welcome to Film School. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. So um, now I know that you did a previous film uh, documentary called Second Opinion uh, about the medical establishment, particularly about Sloan Kettering, one of the most uh, influential, if not the most influential, cancer research institute in the United States and mm-hmm. what was happening in a very political environment. Um, is that one of the reasons that you were that you found yourself interested in exploring the world of stem cell research? Yes, a little bit. I mean, I've always been interested in sort of this genre of storytelling um, within the sort of so-called alternative medical world or sort of the controversies within the world of science and medicine. And like the Sun Kettering story, Second Opinion, there was a book called The Cancer Industry written by Ralph Moss, who was the whistleblower in Second Opinion, that really turned my life into a new direction. I was working in New York City doing uh, animation and kind of post-production things, and I just always liked books for long trips home. I read The Cancer Industry, and it sort of made me inspired me to make my first documentary. Of course, Second Opinion was it came along as the third documentary, but um, it sort of just, I don't know, it opened up my world. But to answer your question specifically, while working on Second Opinion and seeking funding to help complete it, um, a guy that had had these fetal stem cells many times, as well as a lot of his friends and colleagues just swore by them, and he went on and on about how they've uh, been known to cure Parkinson's and muscular dystrophy and a whole host of immunological and neurological conditions. And honestly, I just found it too good to be true. I was sort of a victim of, I think what a lot of people think, you know, oh, I've, if this is so great, or, you know, I would have heard about this by now. It's sort mm-hmm. of like the, you know, your classic sort of response to something like this. And I responded the same way. And after enough kind of badgering, um, and I also had a lot going on. I didn't have time to sit there and investigate this at the time. So in March of 2014, I actually met this guy, William Rader, and um, I was allowed to eventually go to Tijuana, and I just started calling patients that that had been treated by him and and doing my own due diligence and finding some of them on my own, requesting medical records. All the stuff I did with my first documentary, Brzezinski, involves following people that are going down this sort of alternative medical uh, treatment path and trying to do my due diligence as a journalist. And anyway, the sort of the short of it is, and just the, more, the longer I spent with it, the more intrigued I became and the more excited I became. And uh, by the end of the summer of 2014, I was ready to go full-blown, and I did. And um, I spent, uh, I guess, every month for 12 months down um, at this one particular Tijuana clinic um, following people. 
That's true. It sort of it just happened organically. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of overlapped Second Opinion, honestly, because I, I didn't release Second Opinion until late 2014. Meanwhile, I was kind of in my peripheral uh, studying and calling people and, you know, kind of like doing the, the beginnings of a project like this. Yeah. So. Well, well for, for our audience, the, let's go through kind of, there are, in in uh, the God Cells, uh, there is a uh, distinction between the types of cells, stem cells, uh, that that need to be distinguished in order to, to have, a, I think, a better understanding of what we're talking about here. So why don't you walk through those those major sort of categories of stem cells? Because we hear a lot yeah, about um, them. So go ahead. Sure. I mean, um, the word stem cell is sort of a big buzzword, and um, everybody, the kind of general public layman, always sort of uh, combines them all into one pot. Even, you know, last night's screening at the Q&A, someone brought up stem cell this, stem cell that, even after sitting for an hour and a half, uh, being explained to you that there's big, big differences, and it's still hard for people to absorb and sink in, but um, not all stem cells are created equal, from what I have gathered and understood. You have your embryonic, which is the most popular and uh, that's all the controversy between, say, George Bush banning research funding, Obama releasing research funding a couple of years later. Um, and embryonic gets confused with stem cells, but they're not the same, remotely the same. Mm-hmm. Um, so embryonic is grown in a lab in a Petri dish and harvested within the first five days of development. Um, the fetal stem cells that are harvested in my film are harvested at eight to ten weeks of gestation, you know, and are, can only be harvested during an, a voluntary abortion. A huge difference. Um, um, and then you have, and I'll get to the differences of potential efficacy as well. And then you have um, the umbilical cord stem cells, which is very popular today to save at birth. Um, but the umbilical cord stem cells can only really be used for that individual. They are trying to do clinical trials where uh, un, unrelated genetically matched umbilical cords being used to treat uh, unrelated genetically matched people. But it's not, it's really too early to tell. But right now, umbilical cord stem cells can only really be used to treat that that kid you know, that was born that day mm-hmm. later in life, mm-hmm. um, not used to treat a whole host of people. And it's usually very limiting. It's usually only blood diseases. Um, and then you have adult stem cells, which you take your own adult stem cells where uh, kind of a talented, seasoned um, you know, stem cell experts would extract them from your body, process them in a certain way, and give them back to you in hopes that they um, can find and repair damage. Um, so in a nutshell, all stem cell therapy is the practice of literally just putting them in and hoping that they do what someone would call God's work and just seek and repair damage. They just, they're just biology that are programmed to do that. So but the difference between fetal and the rest, aside from the time of har- harvesting and everything else, is the way when these are harvested, they, um, again, 8 to 10 weeks of gestation, they harvest from the brain. Mm-hmm. Um, which is basically the building blocks, the neuronal cells of the building blocks of our nervous system. And they harvest from the liver, which is essentially going to be our building blocks of our immune system. Mm-hmm. And at this time of gestation, it's before the human body creates the bone marrow. So these cells originate in the liver. So you're kind of having two types of cells that are kind of um, already halfway to the finish line when you think about what their job is. They're blank slate cells, but one half of them are already neuronal or nervous system cells, while the other half are already kind of immune system cells, which help to, you know, the nervous system rebuilds neurons and anything neurological. The immune cells help rebuild organs and, say, bone marrow and be good, you know, things for your blood, things like that. Um, so when you look at that, you think you, have, you already have these two types of cells, 
versus adult being very blank slate, say just taken from your fat, umbilical being very blank slate, and you have um, embryonic being extremely blank slate. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and not only that, you have fetal stem cells. These particular ones do not need any genetic matching um, or necessarily any immune suppression. Some scientists will argue that you do need immune suppression. There's a whole other sort of side to that conversation. Mm-hmm. But at least the patients that were treated uh, by uh, this, but by this organization, as well as where they originated in Kiev, Ukraine, from by Mcell, where all this kind of came from, and, and again, as well as Stemetica, who treated Gordy Howe, um, none of these people are really getting any immune suppression. Hmm. I know that was very long-winded. No, um, that's well. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, take a run at it as well, just uh, okay. first as as the layman in this conversation. And I know you're not a doctor, but I mean you've obviously immersed yourself in this subject, so. I'm going to say, so it sounds like another way of saying that the cells are developed enough to have a general assignment, but they're not developed enough to have a specific assignment. Correct. Exactly. Okay. So yeah, they're okay. sort of doing half the job for you already is sort of the idea. Right. Um, because if for an, uh, an embryonic or an adult stem cell to become a neuron, that's a lot of effort, a biological effort to get that far. Mm-hmm. It has to become sort of that nervous system cell before it becomes, say, a neuron or something else. It's just sort of, one way of putting it, it's sort of like the Ferrari stem cell versus the Volkswagen or mm-hmm. horse and carriage stem cell, right. if you would. Right. Yeah. Uh, I want to remind our listeners that we're speaking with Eric Marola. He is the director of the film The God Cells. Uh, the, the film is playing uh, as we speak at the Lemley Music Hall in Los Angeles, as well as anyone listening to the sound of my voice. It's also playing at the Cinema Village in New York City. Um, and uh, Eric's previous work includes Brzezinski and as well as Second Opinion, uh, among others. And he and you seem, as I said at the top of the interview, you're, you, uh, these last few films, you have been uh, immersing yourself in the uh, the politics as well as the science of medicine and um, that's that's a big element of this this uh, particular document the God cells but I want to go I want to now switch over to um, the the people that you were able to enlist is to be part of the film not only just the people who were seeking the therapy but also there are a couple of people here who have experience in actually dealing with what's going on with these uh, with this kind of therapy. So how did you find the people that you uh, en- that ended up in the film as, as the people who were seeking this therapy? Sure. It was a combination of two things. Um, when I, I first was given, you know, hey, here's, here's a whole list of people that are willing to talk to you that did well. There's, a, there's that, and there's also just me on the ground uh, every month for more than a year, um, you know, meeting people for the first time who have never had them before. And um, just sort of you know following them from there, because because I was allowed access every month or as often as I wanted to um, the clinic itself, and you never knew who you were going to meet. Um, I would try my best to find out who's coming, who's willing to talk to me, what kind of ailments they had, and sometimes I would try to meet them beforehand, uh, maybe the day before, and uh, film them, have a conversation, um, and then you know follow them after, and then just stay in touch with them in general. So it's sort of a combination of both. I was offered some, and then I was also um, given the opportunity to, to kind of roam free and meet them on my own as well, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Sure. This is not a knock on you. It's just our general cynicism about about the world we live in today. So I mm-hmm. I just want to say, you know, we, we're often bombarded on, you know, late night TV ads about miracle cures, this, that, and the other thing. 
about whatever it is. And they're, they're, mm-hmm. they're promising the world and the sky and unicorns and ice cream. And mm-hmm. oftentimes it's a fraud. And I'm yep. sure that part of what you've been dealing with in your journey through this to this place where uh, they they seem to be doing s- successful things with people who come in with Parkinson's and multiple sclerosis and all the rest of it. How do you answer to people who are going to sort of as a, uh, a reflex say, well, you know, come on. So, I mean, so I, what I'm trying to get to is the, the science. W- there's enough science here already to to make the claim that this is this is the path forward in in many ways what's a response yeah, you would, somewhat sure basically you know when, when it comes to fetal stem cells um there really isn't a lot of science um well that's part of the really, film yeah that's true yeah and there's there's not been a single well there has been a handful but there's not really really any meaningful clinical trials completed right. there's been no randomized controlled trials completed which is sort of the holy grail of clinical testing. Um, I even reached out to uh, Dr. James Thompson, who was on the cover of Time Magazine in 2001 as, quote, the man who brought you stem cells. I asked him if he, if I had a really hard time finding any fetal stem cell experts. I even asked him. He said, no, it's out of my area of expertise, going back to what we talked about earlier about the differences of the types of stem cells out there. So you have that. So I'm not going to pretend and defend it because all we do have is anecdotal stories, one testimonial after another. A lot of cases, as I showed in the movie, you have doctors you know, scratching their heads, confused at the recovery of their patient. We even have medical records, whether it be blood work or MRI, um, showing that the disease reversed and after, after only being treated with, this, with these stem cells. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm not going to try to defend it and say, you know, if you don't believe it, you know, too bad for you, because it is so new. And, um, but all I can say is, um, you know, is that, yeah, I mean, it doesn't, it's not a magic bullet. It's not a magic cure. I'm not going to even pretend that, um, you know, you're going to go down there and get better for whatever that ails you. I, like one thing I did mention in the movie that was a consistent observation from my point of view is that the earlier an ailment was intervened with, like, um, say, Parkinson's, if you only had it for a couple of years, those people tended to do a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, but people that had Parkinson's for, say, 10 to 20 years, I saw almost zero um, like improvement in them. I mean, they might claim to have small things improve. Weird things happen on, on that note. Like, they're, like, they may not have been cured of their Parkinson's, but their cataracts went away. Like, that was totally unexpected, which is a whole other interesting thing. All these new things that they weren't, they weren't going down there for would happen in a positive way. So as far as anybody, you know, being cynical or maybe not believing it, I mean, I totally understand. Um, all I can do is do my best as a storyteller and relay what I saw Right. And, you know, and try to bring it, you know, to the public and to the audience. But unlike unlike something like Brzezinski, where you have FDA cooperation somewhat, and you have testing for more than 20 years under FDA-sanctioned um, clinical trials, and, and in his case, you know, it's patented. He can corner the market, the cancer market, with this if he's allowed for approval. I mean, there's proof. It's peer-reviewed. It's published. It's proven, you know, for decades, you know, and he's still fighting fetal stem cells, it's like the Wild West. Mm-hmm. There's, there is no structure created. CIRM, the California Institute for Regenerative Medicine, who I profiled in the film, you know, they said the same thing. You know, they're, they're, this is all so new, and, um, you know, that they're, they're, it's their job to try to legitimize, you know, what, um, say, 
William Raider's company is doing or what uh, M-Cell in the Ukraine is doing, to legitimize these types of stem cells. So to answer your question, I, it's the first time, honestly. Like with Brzezinski, I got defensive when people didn't believe it because I'd say, well, no, how can you not believe it? It's scientifically proven based on the scientific method, da-da-da-da-da. And, um, you know, the problem with the difference between, say, Brzezinski and the stem cells um, is that it's a proprietary therapy that an inventor invented that's his. Stem cells is biology that anyone with the right resources and the right technicians um, can offer, harvest and offer to people. And because of their controversy, it's not gotten very far. And frankly, I think my largest goal with the movie would be just to start the dialogue. Yeah. You know, ideally, some scientists see it, maybe a handful of people um, seek it out and it does well for them. But I do not want to give the idea that everybody with every disease that's mentioned in the movie is going to get better um, with these things because there's no proof of that, you know. But yeah. I think it's yeah. safe to say, I'll say it mm-hmm. if, you, if, if you don't want to say it, it's safe to say that it is a promising mm-hmm. field in which to explore. I, no I, I think, I, there, Yeah, I don't think there's any question about that. And it's kind of funny. I don't know if this is, if this is sort of a parallel uh, observation to make, but in Second Opinion, which is about Laetril and, mm-hmm. and the hysteria that grew up around that therapy back in was it the 80s 70s and 80s um yeah it started in the early 70s yeah yeah yeah. and all that actually proved to be promising and then it was discredited and then revisited and this is in second opinion and it Mm -hmm. actually turns out to be promising now it wasn't what and you're not making this claim you never did that it was going to cure cancer but th- there's enough research and there's enough substantial evidence to support the claim that it can arrest the progression of, of and, and that's sort of kind of what you we just were talking about in terms of stem cell therapy. Isn't that mm-hmm. I, I just, I, that's fascinating. A couple of things. Uh, one is it, it does come down to, uh, in, and, I'll, and again, I'll say things that you may not exactly want to say out loud. I will. Uh, the business of, of uh, the pharmaceutical and medical industry has mm-hmm. has there's more money in managing disease than there is in curing disease, mm-hmm. and that's an extremely cynical perspective. But oftentimes, too often, it seems to be the case. You no, know, it is the case, and I know it sounds so. I don't know. People like to use the word conspiratorial or whatever, but the reality is, we live in a market-based economy based on profit, yeah. and you know it's sad, but when you have. Uh, whether you're an oil company or a car company or a toy company, your job as CEO and as the board members, your job is to maximize profits. And managing disease is the only way to do so. When you have um, something that is that groundbreaking, that can change the field, change the industry that dramatically, it's going to immediately be stopped. And that was Laetrile's problem because you couldn't, any general practitioner could make Laetrile in the back of their office. That is stem cells' problem. And that is also Brzezinski's problem on the other side because he could corner the market uh, with it. And um, I mean, I can't tell you how many powerful people, both in politics and industry, have said, you know, this is reality. And by the way, these people, the same people that keep this sort of managing the disease market going, they, uh, they do seek stem cells. <laughs> they do seek Brzezinski. I'm not kidding. And it's, it's incredible. Like, um, you know, there's a lot of our U.S. Congress people seeking fetal stem cells, you know. Mm-hmm. There's um, the Saudi King's nephew was cured of brain cancer by Brzezinski. Uh, one of our America's CIA agents were cured of brain cancer by Brzezinski. And, you know, it's just, they know. It's just that the market doesn't allow it. David Axelrod, Obama's former chief of staff, saw my first Brzezinski movie because uh, somebody that worked 
Christopher Brzezinski is old college buddies of his, and he saw it before it was released. And I heard this secondhand. I don't know why he would have not told me the truth about this, but he's, David saw it and said, this is just too big. Very important, but it's way too big. Maybe in 10 years we can face this problem. Um, and, he's, and he even alluded that the banks had just failed, because this was back in like 2009 when he saw it, and that what it would do to the economony if we allowed this on the market. Right. Right, and there's invention. Yeah. yeah, and and and, and yeah. there are all kinds of examples going back to there was a there was a documentary I believe it's called First Blood uh, or Blood in the Blood, oh Blood in the Water Blood Fire something oh I'm so sorry it had to do with uh, knockoff uh, um, drugs for uh, mm-hmm. people suffering from HIV AIDS mm-hmm. uh, and there and I'll I'll play the devil and I mean the devil's advocate when I say. That on some perverse level, when a company goes out and spends $100 million in the development of a drug that will manage a disease, and, in the, and as they complete their trials, uh, there's, a, there's a drug on the market that will cure that disease, you can understand why there'd be a lot of financial interest in not seeing that particular drug come to market. So yeah, there, I mean, you know, this is sort of the the uh, the the world of technology gives and takes away when when you have financial interest involved. So yeah. I, I don't I don't think anything you're saying here is radical or out out of the, out of the mainstream. Even uh, mm-hmm. it's just frustrating beyond words that our that our health is uh, and our bodies are a profit center uh, for these companies, and and that's the problem. That, to me, yep. the essence of it is. We are profit centers for these companies, and they're not going to let this happen. Um, no. they, they spend a lot of money on researching this and devising a very well-oiled machine yeah. um, to you know, do exactly that. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, and and, the, and another part of this, and this is where the poli- there's the the financial pressures, the interest, the oftentimes the 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 regulatory agencies have been co-opted by the people within the industry that they're that they're uh, um, overseeing, that they're uh, regulating, uh, so that it's difficult even even under the best of circumstances to get through a government agency because often it's essentially been. It's it's overrun with people in the industry with a financial interest. So, but there are the other part of this is that, as you described early on, the harvesting of the the cells from uh, the liver and from the brain coming from, as you said, voluntary abortions. And again, there's the political, there's the politics of it. So what what is what is your take on that? What is what how do we kind of how do we get past that? Or are That's we going to get past one. that? Yeah. yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, you have so many aspects of this. So like, I briefly kind of touched on in the movie, like one of the things with this, the easiest thing to talk about is in the media, um, when you're listening to someone bring up the stem cell topic, especially, by the way, most, I think, ever known by about the big Planned Parenthood debacle last year mm-hmm. with the hidden cameras yeah. and all of that. Does it sound familiar to you? Yeah, and that's what this was about, okay. wasn't it? Okay, great, great. Yeah. So, you know, from that, you had all of these people on, on the various talk shows and television going on and on about how fetal stem cells aren't necessary, they're inferior, da-da-da-da-da, adult stem cells are the way to go. And then you research who these people are, and I featured one quickly. You know, this was a, a woman's um, – it was, it was basically a right-wing, yeah. pro-life um, you know, like, like very Christian organization. Nothing wrong with that, but they, you know, they weren't transparent about why they're saying that. So you, it's hard to get 
the truth, an unbiased truth, when you have such a contentious issue. So, um, and when it comes to abortion itself, I mean, I've had every, I can't tell you how many like, weird emails I'll get. What are you doing? Women are going to get pregnant on purpose, have an abortion on purpose just to donate the cells, da 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 da, which is absurd. You've got 40 million abortions a year on this, on this planet, yeah. 100,000 abortions a day. Um, forgive me for just getting off track, but you know these particular uh, fetuses are harvested in former Soviet Georgia, where the average woman, according to our CDC and the Princeton study, has between three and four abortions in her lifetime. God, it's just sort of the way the society runs over there. It's sort of like a form of contraception. But I'm not answering your question. Um, basically, no, no, you, you are. Overcome? You are answering my question. Yeah, yeah you okay. are. Okay. Yeah. So you knowing all of that, it still doesn't matter if you have someone that so staunchly and dogmatically is against the practice of abortion um and it's it's really hard to talk around that i will say that there's a handful of people in the movie that were very christian who were able to negotiate with themselves because these cells saved their child's life or their own life and they were able to negotiate with their belief and believe that wow you know maybe god would rather us save these cells and save other people since it's going to be a practice that's going to happen anyway versus just discarding them as biological waste mm-hmm. and wouldn't that what god would want to do so and i i don't know there's i don't know how to find a solution i think it has to kind of come from within the individual and to be able to put aside their their beliefs and and really uh, not to be too intense about it, but I think it's a rather bigoted belief. I mean, to interfere with other people's decisions, um, you know, and, and, and shun this, uh, you know, thing. When we have enough people on our planet as it is, if someone should have the freedom to do so, yeah. if they want to within the law, and why not volunteer volunteer those things to be given to science to help other people? You know, I just think it seems like such a logical scenario. But meanwhile, you know, after Planned Parenthood, we had yet another shooting after this whole debacle last year. Yeah. People people have been shot and bombs have gone off because of this really intense belief system that somehow abortion is wrong. Yet at the same time, you know, somehow an unborn baby is worth more than somebody that goes off to um, covet oil in Iraq, you know, and gets that that's perfectly fine to have those people die, you know. Yeah. It's and it's yeah, I mean the argument that uh, there are certain uh, segments of society that will at all costs try to control the process of birth, but once that baby makes it out, uh, mm-hmm. they don't give a, a rat's ass what happens to that. Mm-hmm particular baby. By the way, we're speaking with Eric Marola, and he's the director of the film, The God Cells, and it is playing as we speak here uh, in in Los Angeles at the Lemley Music Hall. Go ahead. I'm offering DVDs on the website now. I just made it live at stemcellsmovie.com or thegodcells.com. It also goes to the same place. And we're in the middle of the sort of potential Netflix or Amazon Prime or all of that kind of happening we're not sure when the release date of that will be yet so oh good oh that's good to know and you, and people can find out by going to uh let me get the the website correct stemcellsmovie.com stemcellsmovie.com and, and I also if you type in the godcells.com it goes to the same place so, and yeah. and that's how i got to it i typed that in okay. yeah that's absolutely right the i, I want to bring up the last part of the 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 our discussion is uh Let's say every the field was suddenly cleared. The medical establishment sort of, kind of was, uh, you know, w- willing to allow this to this research to move forward. But there's this political element, and you mentioned it. The the uh, here in, in California, we prop I forgot the prop number uh, that we voted for in order to move forward with stem cells, 
and mm-hmm. they are talking. Uh, they've been talking about, great, great, let's do this. But talk, talk about this process, this insane amount of money, and this insane um, time frame we're talking about for getting anything done in this field. Because that's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, what they're experiencing, sadly, is just sort of what even like Brzezinski is experiencing in his own other way. Here's this very, very well-meaning organization um, that has now, I think, been given eight billion dollars since 2004. Um, the CERM, or California Institute for Regenerative Medicine, um, who has some, some of the most powerful board members, um, as far as who they are, former CEO of Paramount, I think I mentioned earlier, some Congress, some, you know, politicians and some of the country's leading, uh, doctors and scientists. And, um, their whole goal is to try to bring, uh, stem cell therapies to patients with unmet medical needs. And they're not discriminatory over any particular stem cell type. And they're not like what most people imagine. They're not some big lab, all they are facilitators that want to help the big and the small, whether from a big university or a small startup, they want to help facilitate money and help them navigate the FDA sort of regulatory pathway. And once they got started, um, here they are since 2004, and as, they, as the president said in my movie, they've gotten nowhere. There's a zero on the scoreboard, and they've even found FDA lobbying Congress to slow them down. Mm. Um, they developed an outrageously long process um, to that does not even come close to fitting alongside of what any normal drug would have to go along. Um, you're talking about something like 12 to 15 years um, just to maybe get approval at over a billion dollars um, you know, versus, say, like a three-year process for a drug. Um, and, but there's no explanation as to why. Um, but other, you kind of have to be, use your intelligence and realize that, um, and they had basically admit it, that because, you know, there's no industrial in- interest in this because, like, a Pfizer or whomever can't just corner the market with this technology. And more importantly, what I guess really comes down to is let's just say that somebody wanted to do it um, and wanted to, to go through this laborious and expensive process. They would basically be giving out, giving over 10 to 15 um uh, no, so one to one and a half billion dollars in 15 years to get it approved, say, for Parkinson's. And then they've done all the work, they've spent all the money, and now that it's approved, every single company out there can now um, sell it and, and take advantage of your hard work money and your hard work. Does that make sense? Where yeah. you, it's like yeah. ordinarily they do that process when they have an invention that they own and they can corner whatever their niche market is because they'll have a monopoly on that technology right. until the patents run out. Right. It's, the, it's not the same with stem cells, sadly. It's, uh, you know, so no one's going to want to do the work. The only people that are up for it are, say, government-funded universities and things like that, but it, that's not as powerful as, say, a pharma company. And I think they have only, what, 9% of pharma interest of all of their programs at CERM, only nine percent of their programs has any partnership with pharma at all. Um, so, yeah. It's, it's, uh, so, so what yeah. you're describing, Eric, is is a system that is set up to fail. That's what what you're describing. You're describing yeah. you're describing a system that will guarantee failure and that guarantee that this the that serious solid research that will be a benefit to us will never happen. And you're, it's, it's, I hate to say it, but yeah, sadly. I mean, this is, I've watched what the FDA does say to Brzezinski, and they're very clever. I have to give them credit for their 
raw intelligence. And they create loopholes and hoops, and they dangle the carrot in front of your face, and then as soon as you're almost ready to grab it, it'll change the rules on you again. And that's what they're doing with CIRM, and they will continue to do it with CIRM, because it's the FDA, whether people like it or not, has been literally purchased by the industry, thanks to Congress passing the Drug User Fee Act in 1992, right. and it keeps growing ever since. And um, no longer is the FDA a government, fully government tax-funded agency. It's, they're, they're on their way to becoming like the post office and becoming completely privatized. Um, and more than half of the money that the FDA uses for drug evaluation comes is from coming the, from the industry. Yeah, comes from the, the industry. Yeah, yeah comes yeah. from the industry. It, yeah. You know, okay, so, and, and, and this is the way in which, and I'll say Republicans, I'll say it because uh, I'm Republican and, and some Dems. I mean, I'm not going to leave them off the hook here because people who are captive, what's a better way to put people who are captive to the industry, pharmaceutical industry, and there's no shortage of Republicans and Democrats, but it tends to be Republicans who defund uh, agencies within the government. They, they, don't, they, they will acknowledge the existence of the EPA and the, acknowledge, and the, of the FDA and these different agencies or the IRS, but they just don't fund them. And so they're, they're essentially uh, toothless, ineffective. And then they can turn around and say, well, see, these regulatory agencies don't work. So why should we give them any money? It, it's sure. a sick, sin- cynical, manipulative, uh, insidious way to govern us. And, and, and we're the ones who suffer. The consequences. It goes both ways, I must tell you, since you brought it up. I mean, yes, you have the Republican side of kind of school of thought that wants smaller government, less regulation, and they will say exactly what you just said. And now, however, I've found that the Democratic side, by and large, have a kind of blind, almost religious-like belief in our regulatory agencies. Mm-hmm. And they're willing to, it's hard for them to realize that this kind of corruption exists. I even watched it at CERN. One of their board members was Sherry Lansing, yes. former CEO of Paramount. And yeah. she went on and on and on uh, trying to argue with the president of CERN, saying that I think the FDA has our best interest in mind. I think you're giving them a hard time, da 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 by not believing for a moment that it's possible that the industry has usurped them. Yeah. So it's interesting so you're kind of i hate to say it's screwed on both sides of the aisle because yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they both don't understand the, the the really inner workings for different reasons yeah. you know yeah and plus you know if you think about it you got three pharma lobbyists for every single congressperson you know it's, how do you fight that that's you know? true the, the pharmaceutical <laughs> industry has an it is an army of lobbyists because once you get a successful this is part of the uh, beauty of being in the pharmaceutical business is yes it costs a lot of money to get to get these drugs developed and approved and once they're in market mm-hmm. once they hit the market it's like printing money these people mm-hmm. are printing money once they get mm-hmm. something like viagra or what there's a whole i mean there's no end to the to the list of drugs they're just uh, they're just piggy banks at this point, and and they've done everything they can to engineer the uh, the copywriting of these uh, patents on these particular uh, uh, medicines. So they'll never have to give them up. They change a molecule or here and there in these in these drugs, and they can make these things be their property forever. So right. it's another part of this whole story. The last thing is is let's give some people a little bit of hope because while we are retarded in this country for uh, doing these things and we're captive, maybe a better way to put it, we're captive to industry. 
in other parts of the world, not so much, even though I'm sure they're going to be facing increasing uh, pressure from the pharmaceuticals, especially with these trade agreements. By the way, that's another whole thing we don't have time for. But these TPP, these, these, these NAFTA kind of agreements are also locking in on a worldwide level the same kinds of nightmares that we're dealing with here in the United States. So that's another mm-hmm. thing. But all right. So let's talk about there is some hope in the, in the Wild West that is Mexico. People mm-hmm. are going there, and they are getting treatments that you talked about earlier with some of the people that you met. And so is that, a, is that reason to be somewhat kind of sort of hopeful that this may see some, the light of some sort of research and really seriously developing what, we're, what you're talking about in, in the God Cells? I think so, because, um, you know, we live in a time where, you know, you look at, one of the things I like, like saying is, like, you look at any kind of paradigm shift, it's never at least in recent history, it's never come from the establishment. It's always come from uh, something on the fringe. And it's just sort of, I think it's without exception. I mean, take something as simple as like the Steve Jobs or Elon Musk story. Right. These people did not play by the rules. Um, you look at, you know, any, any example of any kind of paradigm shift in technology or science. Um, so, and this is what you're seeing here. Um, you can't rely on pharma to come up with, say, the cure for cancer or any kind of like paradigm shifting uh, event in science because that's not what they're designed to do. I mean, I, I'd like to say that's it's called the establishment because it has been established and they are there to preserve what has been established. That is the job of the presidents and the Congress people. They're not there to change it. So the only way that change happens is from some really brave people from the outside. And so and I think this, the stem cells, fetal stem cells, is an example of that. And because the brilliance of it, again, is that you can't can't really put an enemy image on it because there's no single inventor. Um, these are all ourselves, and they are harvested from an abortion. And the proper technicians, and the proper chemicals, and the proper storage, and the proper injection procedures—they can be done almost anywhere. I mean, I, this is not the ideal situation, but this can be done in the back of a car. You know, mm-hmm. this is not a complicated thing. Um, it just has to—you know—of course, you have to keep things clean. To answer your question, though. Um, yeah, I think there is hope. I think we're really early in the process. I, I wish there was a hundred of these clinics uh, where you had, you knew they were above board, you know, where people could go everywhere. I don't know if it's going to happen in the U.S. overnight, but um, I personally would love to see a massive tourism of uh, you know a handful of these clinics and having people report back and getting better. I know, you know, um, like for instance, um, with my research on this, even though they didn't agree to talk to me, like in Kiev, you know, there is closer to everybody, of course, is. Uh, William Raider's company in Tijuana, um, and then Stemedica out of San Diego, but also gives in Tijuana. Um, they're, they're, they're not quite the same. But then you have Kiev, where it all came from um, when it comes to fetal stem cells. Um, from what I understand, you know, they treat you know uh, lots of politicians from all over the world. I don't think I'm allowed to say the countries. I'm, not, I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah. But this is something that is going on. The elite know about this. And sadly, because it's so expensive, uh, the common folk can't get a hold of it as easily. And the hope would be the long term is that it's become so de- in such demand that and there's enough, there's enough market competition that maybe this can become affordable. You know, mm-hmm. we're never going to get insurance to cover it yet. But uh, yes, there is hope. I mean, here you took you take people, you see a kid, a family that has a kid with muscular dystrophy, and they're like, oh my god, he's going to be dead by 16, and we're going to watch him wither her or he wither away in a wheelchair, and they're walking around. 
You know, it's amazing. You have people that, um, you know, and I showed one woman in my movie who had Parkinson's. She couldn't play piano anymore, couldn't feed herself, couldn't walk across the room, couldn't talk. And now she's playing piano again. Another guy who's playing golf again. And um, you have the cystic fibrosis, even though it doesn't fix the genetic mutation that causes the disease. It allows them to live a normal life. Um, so it's incredibly hopeful, you know, absolutely. It's just, you know, you just have to kind of go outside the lines to uh, acquire it. You know? That's amazing. People yeah. actually seeking to, uh, a better life, a seeking uh, to find therapies that will help them survive are, are, are really in some manner criminals, at least being mm -hmm. criminalized in order to do it. Uh, it's crazy, yeah. and I'm so ha grateful for your film, The God Cells, and, and also, also your other work with Brzezinski and with A Second Opinion. Uh, really terrific stuff. Um, I, I hope you continue to do what you apparently love to do, which is make documentary films, and I look forward to having you back on, Eric. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, and... Uh, Continue success and continue. Thanks and I hope, so much. yeah, I hope. I just saw the your website and you've you've got the uh, obviously you've got it up for you can you can buy the DV at uh, stemcellsmovie.com. That's or you can just type in the God Cells and it'll take you there. Find out more about it and you can buy the D, pre DVD pre-sale ships uh, as of yesterday. And um, yeah, continued success, Eric Marola, the director of the film The God Cells. Thank you so much for being on Film School. Thanks so much. Great to be back on. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.